Uh, there's an old joke, uh, a joke about a blonde woman. Uh, now, this blonde woman, she was marooned on an island 20 kilometres from the mainland. And uh, one day, this blonde woman decided to swim for freedom, to swim the 20 kilometres. And so off she set. She swam and swam and swam. She reached 19 kilometres, got tired, so she turned around and went back. Now, as a man who is married to a blonde woman, I would like to agree with you that that is a terrible joke and I find it deeply offensive. <laughs> and I don't find it in the least bit funny. But the joke does raise an interesting point, wouldn't you agree? An interesting point about perseverance. You see, often we human beings, we're just not prepared to persevere. You see, we want to get to the destination, but sometimes we're not prepared to endure the journey. I know that many of you are back this week from family holidays. I know that many of you have kids. And of course, I'm sure that as you were traveling to your destination, there was one question that you were asked over and over again. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You see, we want the destination, but we don't necessarily want the hardships of the journey. Well, it seems that that is often the case also for us Christians. You see, we too are on a journey. We're on our way to be with our Lord in heaven. But often uh, we find the journey difficult. There's all sorts of obstacles along the way, isn't there? All sorts of hardships. And sometimes it can cause us to ask the question, are we there yet? Sometimes the journey can be filled with pain. Sometimes it can just be plain old tiring. And so sometimes we too can be tempted to, to just give up turn around and go back. I wonder if you have ever felt like that as a Christian. I wonder if you know a Christian who feels like that. Well, today we continue on in our series looking at the letters in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. We've already seen that these are there's seven letters that are written by the risen Lord Jesus and written to seven first century churches. And today we see Jesus' letter to the church in the city of Philadelphia. Now this was a church that was really struggling. They had faced some real hardships on the journey. And so today we learn what it is that Jesus has to say to these particular Christians. But as we, as we do, as we hear that, we'll also hear him speaking to us and, and encouraging us to keep on with the journey that is ahead of us. If you don't already have a Bible open, can I encourage you to grab one now? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation, last book of the Bible. You can find it on page 868 of the, large, of the small print, 1916 of the large print Bibles. Revelation chapter 3. And we see there that the letter begins by telling, telling us who it's written to. And we learn that it's ultimately intended for the Christians in the church in the city of Philadelphia. Read with me the beginning of chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. And then the letter goes on to state who it's from. And here, Jesus describes himself in three ways. Okay, three ways. He describes himself as the Holy One, in other words, God. He describes himself as the one who is true, in other words, the one whose words are factual and the one who can be believed. And he describes himself as a doorkeeper, a doorkeeper holding the key of David. Read with me the next part of verse 7. 
These are the words of him who is holy, literally the holy one, and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. What does it mean here when it says that Jesus holds the key of David? Actually, it's a direct reference from the Old Testament, from Isaiah chapter 22. And in that chapter, we learn that there's a man named Eliakim. And God gives Eliakim authority over the city of Jerusalem, over the city of David. And we're told that he's given the key of David. And so now, now it's Jesus who holds the key of David. Now it's Jesus who has this authority over the city of Jerusalem. Okay, but not, not the old city. No, he's got authority over the new Jerusalem, the new heavenly Jerusalem. In other words, now Jesus holds the key to heaven's door. Okay, now it is Jesus who opens the door and lets in anybody he chooses and, and shuts the door and locks the door and keeps out anybody he chooses. It's like he's the, it's the ultimate bouncer here, Jesus. He's like heaven's bouncer, granting entry and barring in, in, entry to anyone he wants. Next, Jesus goes on in his letter to reveal what it is that he knows about this church in Philadelphia. But, but firstly, he reveals the good news of what he has done for this church. What he has done is he has used his authority as the doorkeeper to open up heaven's door to them. He's flung wide the doors of heaven for them. No, uh, no knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door necessary here for these Philadelphians. The heaven's door is already open. It, it is great news for this church. And it is no doubt news that they desperately needed to hear at this particular time. Because you see, it seems that these, the people of this church have been, uh, they've been really put through the ringer recently. It seems that they have come under attack and they have been beaten down and, and now they've been left feeling weak uh, with little strength. But Jesus commends them here. Because despite this rough time that they've gone through, the people of this church, they've kept on doing the right thing. They've They've held on to the gospel of Jesus. They've kept on obeying him. They've kept on following him. They haven't renounced him as their Lord and Saviour. Read with me verse 8. Verse 8. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet... You have kept my word and have not denied my name. So yes, this journey has been a rough one for these people in this church. But they haven't given in, they haven't, they haven't turned back. And so now Jesus commends them. And the cause of the trouble for this church? Well, it seems that there are certain Jews behind this, the trouble. Uh, it's reasonable to suggest that these Jews, they were upset with the Christians, no, up, no doubt upset that they were claiming their God, what they thought of their God, uh, for themselves. Up, no doubt upset that they were claiming that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, upset that they were claiming that Jesus was the Son of God and the one who died to take away the sins of the world. I'm sure that all of these things probably upset these Jews. 
How they actually caused trouble for the church? Well, we're not really sure. Maybe there were physical attacks on the church, or maybe there, were, there was uh, verbal attacks. Uh, maybe these Jews spread lies about the people of the church. Maybe they promoted discrimination against them in the local community. We're not really sure. But what we do know for sure is that this church has now been left with little strength. They're really, really hurting. But then Jesus hands down his verdict on these troublemaking Jews and he is absolutely scathing in his ruling. He calls them a synagogue of Satan. They belong to Satan. He says that though they claim to be Jews, oh, they're not real, really. It might be true that they might be physical descendants of Abraham, yes, but their hearts are not circumcised. They're not true Jews. They're not really God's people. No, they're just liars. And so Jesus says that the day is going to come when he will stop their lies once and for all. A day when these Jews will be brought to the feet of these Christians and made to confess to them that they were wrong. And made to confess that God really does love them, these Christians. Read with me verse 9. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. You see, the church in Philadelphia, they shouldn't allow these Jews to cause them to give up being Christians. No, 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 no. Because the day is coming when these Jews will be brought low and they'll be shown to be the lie that they are. And then Jesus offers this church a wonderful, wonderful promise. Jesus tells them that because they have kept his command to patiently persevere, that because they have kept his word and not denied his name, well, now Jesus promises that he will keep them that he will keep them through the time of great uh, uh, trials and, and testing that Jesus is about to bring upon all the people of the world. Read with me verse 10. Verse 10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now, in the context of the rest of Revelation, what I think is going on here, I think the idea here is that Jesus will hold on to this church through the coming trials and tribulations of life. No matter what they face in the future, Jesus will hold on to them and he will not let them go. Even through the greatest time of testing at all, of all you know, the, the, the final judgment, Jesus will hold on to them even through that. See, there's something wonderfully encouraging about this promise that Jesus offers here. These Christians, they've held on to Jesus, and so now Jesus will hold on to them, come what may. You see, these Christians haven't persevered in vain, and now they can keep on persevering with great confidence. But the Christians in Philadelphia still have to be careful. Okay? They've still got to be careful. 
And next in his letter, Jesus tells them that they have to be careful not to let go of what they have. You see, heaven is theirs. It's theirs. They have it. The the doors of heaven are open wide to them. It's like the victor's crown is already in their hands. But now they have to be careful that no one takes that from them. How can that happen? Well, if they were to let go of it. In other words, if they were to forfeit what they have. How could that happen? Well, if they were to stop persevering. If they were to say, oh, this Christian life, too hard. I give in, I give up, no more. That would be to forfeit everything that they have. See, that's what they need to be careful to do. They need to be careful to keep on persevering. But Jesus says that they won't have to persevere for much longer. He says that soon their struggles will all be over. Because in just a little while, he's going to come to them. He's going to come to be where they are and take take them to be where he is. Read with me, verse 11, verse 11. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. See, what have they got to do? They've got to hold on to what they have. They've got to keep trusting Jesus. They've got to keep following him. They have to keep persevering. But not for much longer because Jesus is coming soon. And then in the final part of the letter, Jesus confirms to these Christians what their future holds. He tells them the wonderful future that is before them. If they keep on patiently persevering, if they overcome, then Jesus says that they will be made uh, pillars in the temple of God. In other words, they'll be made, metaphorically speaking, into mighty monuments in the presence of God in heaven, like great, big, unmovable pillars, the sort of pillars that not even Samson could knock over. Right there in heaven. Yes, they might feel weak now. Yes, they might be beaten down now. But their future is one of mighty strength. And Jesus also tells them that there in heaven, he will write three names on these Christians. He'll write on them the name of God. He'll write on them the name of the new Jerusalem, heaven. And he'll write on them his own name also. You know, it's like when you own something valuable that you don't want to lose. Well, you might write your name and address on it. Well, soon Jesus is going to take out his metaphorical texter and he's going to write on these people. These Christians belong to me. And they belong to my father. And they belong with us here in heaven forever. It is a wonderful promise of a a wonderful future for these Christians. In fact, a promise for anyone who has an ear to hear this message. Read with me from verse 12. Verse 12. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, 
which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow, what a wonderful future for these Christians. If only they keep on patiently persevering. Well, I wonder if they did. I wonder if they did. I wonder if these Philadelphians did keep on patiently persevering. What do you think? It's a shame, isn't it, that we're not told? I'd love to, have found, to find out what happened to them. I know, though, that I, I really hope that they did. I, I hope that they... You know, I, I, I know that they've been put through the ringer here. I know that they've really suffered. I know that they're feeling weak. But I also know that through, through this letter that they have been given so much and that they're now so close. And so I just really hope that they didn't, didn't give up. I mean, Jesus has flung wide the doors of heaven to them. He's promised that the day will come when their enemies will be brought low and made to confess that they were wrong. He's promised to hold on to them through the, the rest of life's trials and even through the final judgment. He's promised that their struggles won't go on forever, that, that he's coming soon. And he's shown them their wonderful future as mighty pillars of strength belonging to God in heaven forever. No, they can't give up now. They, they've got all this. They're, they're, they're so close. You know, for them to give up now would be like that blonde woman swimming 19 kilometres and then getting tired and turning around and coming back even though she's only got a kilometre go, to go. No, they can't give up now. You know, I feel like, I feel like grabbing my Bible and, and yelling through the pages of the Bible, Philadelphians, don't give up now. You are so close. You have so much. You, you can't give up now. I feel like yelling into the pages of the Bible. And then I realised that that would just be silly. And I would look silly. Because those people are long dead. And their journey is long over. One way or another. But then I look at you. And I look at me. And I realise that it is now we. Who are on this same journey. And I realise that it is we. To whom Jesus has now given this message. And I realise that it is now we who need to listen to the one who is holy and true. And friends, I realise that as a church, we're not really facing persecution. At least not any kind of persecution to the, to the same degree as these, these Philadelphians. You know, we haven't got Jews or anyone else attacking us, at least not overtly anyway. And yet I also know that many of you are facing various trials and that many of you have been left feeling beaten down and weak and without strength and just plain tired. And I know that for some of you the temptation is there to, to give in, to give up, to turn back, 
to let go of Jesus. For some of you, I know that it has come through a degree of persecution. For some of you, that has been at school. For some, it has been at uni. For some, it's been in the workplace where you have been belittled for following Jesus. For others of you, I know that it's been closer to home, that you have been mocked and ridiculed, sometimes from your brothers and sisters, sometimes from adult children, sometimes from a non-believing spouse, sometimes even from your parents, especially when they are of another faith or of no faith at all. I know that for others of you, the trials that you have faced haven't come in the form of persecution at all, but they've come in a different form, often some kind of struggle of life. And over the years, I have seen too many Christians give up their faith, chuck it all in because of trials. As I think about it, I can think of people who have chucked in their faith on account of chronic illness, on account of uh, being in a difficult marriage, on account of depression, on account of struggles with singleness, just wanting to be married. I've seen people chuck it in just because life in general has just not turned out to be quite what they expected, what they hoped for. And in all these instances, perseverance just seemed too hard. And so they let go of Jesus. Well, friend, if you are here this morning, and this is how you are feeling, then please listen to what Jesus has to say to you today. He says, friend, I hold the key of David, and I have opened wide heaven's doors to you. He says, friend, remember that the day is coming when those things that have beaten you down and have tempted you to chuck it all in, the day is coming when they will be shown for what they really are. They will be brought low and they'll be shown to be the lies that they really are. He says, friend, you know that you have held on to me this far. Well done. Know that I will hold on to you until the end. No matter what life's trials lay ahead, I will bring you through them, even through the final judgment. He says, friend, don't give up now, because you will not have to struggle much longer. He says, even if it is 80, 90, 100 years more of struggling for you, he says, know that in the light of eternity, in the light of forever, that is nothing. He says, friend, I am coming soon. And he says, friend, when I do come, know that no longer will you feel weak or beaten down or oh so tired, but you will be like a mighty pillar in heaven unmovable forever, belonging to me and my Father forever. Yes, friend, 
That is what Jesus has to say to you today. And so, friend, don't give up now, will you? Don't turn your back now. Don't give in now. But keep going. Keep going and keep holding on to Jesus and to his promises. Keep obeying him. Keep following him. And whatever you do, don't let go of that victor's crown that he's already placed in your hand. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to thank you for this message to us from your Son. And we thank you that he is the Holy One and the one whose words can be trusted. Father, please help us to trust him today. Help us to keep on following him and trusting him even in the midst of great struggles. Father, thank you for the promise that Jesus will bring us through. And thank you for the wonderful future that has been laid out in front of us. Father, we pray that not one of us here today would forfeit what you have given us. That each and every one of us would hold tightly to our victor's crown. And finally, Father, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and take us home. Amen.